all bad things. Tragedy. Tragedies, disasters. That's bad things. Trigger warning for everything possible. What? Hello. Okay. <laughs> I'm Rachel. <laughs> I'm David. And this is All Bad Things. Yeah, I'm not sure what we're... Are you going to welcome? Oh, yes. Welcome, everybody. Welcome. <laughs> I was just fixated on your uh, on your hello. Mm-hmm. Uh, follow us Insta, Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, and Twitch at All Bad Things Pod. Email us at allbadthingspod at gmail.com. You can join our Facebook discussion group and our Discord. And our subreddit. Oh, that's right. Yes. I forgot about gotta that. Keep, gotta yes. keep plugging that. Mm-hmm. Do all of those things. Yes. Ah, <laughs> <sighs> what you drinking tonight? We're I'm... getting less and less interesting. <laughs> yeah. Um, I am I am drinking a national local beer. And I am drinking Again. yes, a sparkling ice. Mm-hmm. Cherry limeade sparkling ice. It's actually go. very good. Have you had it? I'm not sure. I don't think so. Let me see. Yeah, not bad. A little on the sweet side. It is pretty sweet. It's like... Actually very... Too much on the sweet side. Well, because it's fake sweetener, yeah. you know, so... Yeah. 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 I'll go with my uh, national local beer. <laughs> there you go. My Miller Lite. <laughs> um, so, no idea based on what I... Uh, how I said hello? Did it ring uh, a bell? It did. Like, it made me think of um, the Doors song. Is that what we're doing? What happened to the doors? Oh, man. He was 27. Are we 27 clubbing it again? Yes. Oh, I see it. I got your hint. <laughs> yeah. This is chapter three of the 27 Club, The Death of Jim Morrison. There was like a one-year period in my life where I was huge into the doors. Really? Where, I didn't know that. Where it's most people's one-year period is like when I was like 19 to 20. Oh, okay. That's true. I was going to say like 16, but no, that's no. a little young. The doors I did, need I did a not, little bit of... When yeah. I was in high school, I listened to zero classic rock. I didn't mm. listen to really hardly any. Okay. Um, and if we didn't have the, um, <clears throat> well, I mean, I heard, cla- you know, classic rock, obviously. Mm-hmm. I just didn't personally own any. I wasn't into it at that time. Yeah. But you get a little older and you're like, oh, okay, like I can, well, like the I'm... first classic rock band I really got into is also pretty obvious, uh, Led Zeppelin. Yes. So. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and the Doors aren't like entry level classic rock. <sighs> They're, uh... I mean, they, they are classic rock. If you listen to a classic rock station, you will hear their music. But they, yeah, they're, where they fit into the history of rock music mm-hmm. is, it's not in the forefront, necessarily. Well, they were, it's, they were full-blown from the psychedelic, yeah, experimental would, side of yeah, things. Yeah, that's, that's true. Mm-hmm. Which led to other stuff like, um. You know, like synth pop. Yeah. Led, mm-hmm. you know, Electronic to, music. Right, yeah. Yes. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. And they, I I wouldn't want to say they were the first prominent band to do that kind of thing, but they were one of the first prominent they, bands to do they that. They were one of the first bands that hit it. Mm-hmm. Because there's like um, Strawberry Alarm Clock. Have you ever heard of Strawberry Alarm Clock? Is that Clock? a band or a yes. song? Yes. <laughs> okay, I have not. They did Incense and Peppermints, which is like a an uber psychedelic song. Sure. But... Like nobody is gonna know who they are, basically. But yeah, the, the, the psychedelic the doors hit. Yeah, they did, it. and they they had a quick rise and a. They were really popular. I want to say three or four years, and then just fell apart. Or well, maybe six longer. because then six years. Jim Morrison died. So. Right, but even before he died, mm-hmm. they weren't. They hadn't toured for a while or anything. I don't yeah, think. do you know why? 
I don't. We're I guess get we'll get into, into that. All yeah. of that. Oh my goodness. There's a lot of information. All right. This one, so. so the last 27 club we did was Anton Yelkin. Well, actually, right? it was Kim Kim Duck. What was his his name? The the boxer. Oh, uh, Dooku Kim. Okay, sorry. He was twenty seven. Uh, yes, he was twenty seven. Oh, I guess uh-huh. I didn't realize that. Oh, that's right. He did say. Um, yes. Yeah, uh huh. Right. Yep. Um, and we did Antonio Kim first, then. But he got such a late start that he was still like a young twenty seven as a boxer. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so this is we're kind of moving backwards in a way because we haven't covered the. The three big ones, obviously, Jimmy and Janice are the two biggest, and then I'd um, say Kurt is also Kurt Cobain too. Yeah. Yes, Amy Winehouse um, sure. and Brian Jones, who kicked off the Twenty Seven Club. Ah, okay. So, mm-hmm. so on July third, which is our anniversary, ah, anniversary. <laughs> nineteen seventy one, Jim Morrison, known most for being the lead singer of the band The Doors, died in a bathtub in mm-hmm. Paris. Less than a year after the deaths of Jimi Hendrix and Janis Joplin. Wow, that's right. They cementing his so membership in the Notorious 27 Club. They all died within, within a year. like 10 months of each other. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. Yep. So sources for this episode are All That's Interesting, Biography.com, Bonjour Paris, Business Insider, Grunge, JimMorrison.com, LA Weekly, The Miami Herald, NPR, Rolling Stone, Up Venue, the USS Midway Veterans Association, The Washington Post, Wikipedia, and Yahoo News. Okay. Yeah. So James Douglas Morrison was born on December 8th, 1943 at Brevard Hospital in Melbourne, Florida. Oh, okay, really? So it's part of the Space Coast. It's a little south of Cape Canaveral on the east coast of Florida. Um, His parents were Clara Clark Morrison and George Stephen Morrison. Got lots of pictures this episode. Mm, Okay. So he was a Florida baby. Here's his parents and him as a baby. Okay. Chilling on the coast. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. His mom's wearing a classic, like, 60s lady or bikini but that wouldn't have been the 60s that would have been the 40s 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 that was 1943 so very maybe they did it different down in in florida right that's possible (laughs) so george stephen morrison (laughs) he's an interesting figure i thought it was oh george yeah this is his dad okay he's an interesting figure all his own so we're going to talk about him a little bit. Uh, he was born and raised in Leesburg, Florida, which is a little north northwest of Orlando. In 1938, at age 19, he entered into the U.S. Naval Academy. And as you can imagine, the late 1930s was specifically a very interesting time to start joining the armed forces in the United States. He graduated in 1941 and was shipped off to join the crew aboard the USS Pruitt, which was located in... Pearl Harbor, Hawaii. Wow. <laughs> As a result, Jim Morrison's dad saw Pearl Harbor happen. No kidding. And if things had gone a different I'm way, tell about there it. wouldn't have been a Jim Morrison. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Obviously, he survived, though that would not have been a given. Well, that would have changed things a lot. So this is his dad. This is George Stephen Morrison. Okay. Lifelong Navy man. Hmm. So George served aboard the Pruitt in the early days of the war before volunteering for Navy pilot training in Pensacola, Florida in 1943. So that's why they were in Florida at the time. I mean, I was going to say, if they're in like the Space Coast part of Florida, I'm mm-hmm. like, 
Mm -hmm. Like, his dad was probably, like, a scientist or, like, a... Pilot. Yeah. Because a lot of astronauts Mm -hmm. are former pilots, right? Especially Most of them are. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, uh, it was during this time that Clara gave birth to their first child, Jim. So, Jim is the oldest of his siblings. Soon thereafter, George graduated flight training school and left Clara at home with the baby for the Pacific Theater where he flew combat missions. So his dad was a World War II Navy combat uh, pilot. And colleagues would later recall George to be a, quote, formal, aloof man on his rapid climb up the ladder, end quote. So he was like a lifer, a Navy lifer, right? He was definitely a career Navy man. He came back to the States after the war and moved his family to Albuquerque, <clears throat> New Mexico. What was what do you think the armed forces were doing in uh, in the desert at that time, in the they 40s? Were, they were building the bomb. Well, so this is post-World War II. They've oh. already built it. Okay. But building, he was building more of them. He was an instructor for a secret nuclear weapons yeah. project. Oh so, yeah. Well, the hydrogen bomb came in, like, not even 10 years later, I don't think. Like, the hydrogen bomb was, like, the next big thing. Oh. So he might have been, well, well, it just said the nuclear bomb, but he might have had a role in that, too. Who yeah. knows? Mm-hmm. So while in Albuquerque, Carla gave birth to her second child, daughter Ann Robin Morrison, in 1947. And also around this time, this is, this is kind of an interesting and pivotal moment, apparently, in Jim Morrison's life. Morrison would later state he experienced what he called, quote, the most important moment in my life, end quote. So this time he's like four years old, three or four years old. So while driving in Albuquerque, his family came along the scene of a car accident. Hmm. According to Jim, several people were laying on the road dying. Hmm. And he witnessed that at this young age. And Jim became upset for very obvious reasons. His father, George, had a bit of a different view of this. He, he kind of had a less dramatic account, I guess. But then again, he, he's a Navy man. <laughs> he, he went through Pearl Harbor. He saw, saw things a little worse. He was a combat pilot. Yes. He, he, he's like, ah, you're being overdramatic because there's so just, much people dying like, on the road. He's like, it's only three dead people. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Not, not, mm-hmm. not 3,000, mm-hmm. like, like what I saw. Mm-hmm. But he did confirm that the experience, quote, made an impression, end quote, on Jim. Yeah, but it did. Yeah, and his because sis- that's when you're yeah. just possibly old forming enough. memories. Because uh-huh. I mean, I, I my earliest memory is like from like <clears throat> like the age of four years old too. Yeah, mm-hmm. so that's I like, remember my fourth birthday. Yeah, that's the first like event I really strongly remember. My memory is breaking out of the uh, outdoor prison that my mom made for me, <laughs> <That's right>. <laughs> <laughs> and then being picked up by the police down the street. <laughs> So you were arrested. You were you were you escaped jail and were rearrested. Yep. <laughs> At four. I shot the sheriff, but I did not shoot the deputy. What did she actually keep? Was it like a playpen sort of a situation? Yeah, but I had a lock, like in a well, like in a, in a in a roof. Like I. How did you get out of it? I don't remember. I think I dug. I think I dug like in between like the bars. I think that's how I got out. You're a wily little motherfucker. I was, I was notorious for getting out of the house and fucking disappearing. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, you know, like it wasn't the first time. Like even my mom's admitted, she's like, it wasn't the first time you'd been brought home by the police. But like back, <laughs> but like back then, like you know. So you were a troublemaker from like day one. You pretty much. Oh, yeah. how funny. Yeah. Oh, that's hilarious. Oh. <laughs> uh, I'm I'm sure that was a proud moment for yeah, my mom sure. having having her four year old son being brought home by the because you know the the cops thinking like how did you let this happen <laughs> right. 
it's I'm sorry he broke out of his jail. Yeah. Yeah, I put him in prison. Like just like you told me. Oh. So Jim's sister Anne, who absolutely would have been too young to remember this. She would have been an infant if she even was born at the time. She would later say, quote but she you know, she knew about the lore of the story. Obviously it left an impression on Jim. She would later say, quote, he enjoyed telling that story and exaggerating it. End quote. Oh sure. Jim would later claim he was possessed by the ghost of one of the people who died in the accident. Yeah, that's yeah. Um, specifically, they were parent. The people who were victims in this accident were um, of the Pueblo Indian tribe. Oh. And so he would say that he was possessed with the spirit spirit of a Pueblo indigenous person. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Jim was maybe a bit of a. <laughs> Dramatic person. We'll get into that. I wonder if the acid helped. (laughs) You nailed his drug of choice, too. Oh, I knew that. Yeah, that's that's like his... He's kind of infamous for that, Mm -hmm. I guess. Clara gave birth to her last child, son Andrew Lee Morrison, in 1948, completing the Morrison family. So Jim was the oldest of three kids. And that is little baby Jim Morrison. Little, like, seven-year-old Jim Morrison Same Same face. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, really. Yeah. And we'll be seeing him sort of through the years. Looks like his mom. He does. Yeah. I think he's got like... He's got his dad's nose. Yeah, his dad's looks, nose, some yeah. of his mom's like eyes. He's got his and... mom's forehead too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like the hairline is almost like... Yeah. Uh-huh. It is always interesting identical. seeing people with their parents, right? Like to see where they got what from. See, but I look like, like my grandfather. Yeah, so I, so uh-huh. If, so if you see with my with my parents, you're like, hmm, whose <laughs> no, kid is he? No, no there's... There's, uh, and your sisters too. You can tell that yeah. you're related. I wouldn't say that you look identical or anything, no. but you definitely look related. So, yeah. Um, like the Burnhams, the Burnhams all look definitely related. Yes, they do. And they look like Monique too. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um, so the Morrisons continued to bop around their, their Navy family. Sure. So they, that's well, normal. Mil- military, in military, in, military in general. Exactly. Yeah, you, move, you move around. Yes, uh-huh. So they lived in, like, San Diego, Fairfax, Virginia, Kingsville, Texas, and they kind of went back and forth between some of these places. And I'm guessing most of that has to do with, like, if you're a lifer like this guy is, you're probably trying to constantly get to the next career yes. step. And so you and take those, the jobs and, that are And those available. are in different areas. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. That's that's not at all uncommon in federal government service, period. Sure. Um, because yeah, it's very, it's very, um, if you're a ladder climber, like you need to go where the job is. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yep. And his dad absolutely was, he ended up retiring as a rear admiral. Okay. So he was absolutely a ladder climber. George was assigned to the U S joint Operations center in Seoul during the Korean war. And he won a bronze star. Uh, so he's so far, he's witnessed Pearl Harbor, flown combat in world war two and uh, was assigned at, like at an operational role. Like he's in leadership at this point. He was he was Korean designing. Uh, he was coming up with battle plans. Mm-hmm. Um, so yes, he physically was not there for those missions, but he was responsible for those people. Mm-hmm. Around the end of the war, so this would have been when he was in the fifth or sixth grade. Jim wrote his first poem, which he called "The Pony Express." Hmm. He said, "Quote." 
I always wanted to write, but I always figured it'd be no good unless somehow the hand just took the pen and started moving without me really having anything to do with it, like automatic writing. But it just never happened, end quote. Which is like a, you know, sort of like the muse moves you sort of like artistic vision. But And so this is Jim now closer to like middle school age. Okay. Very, very svelte looking. Well, he's a very like button down 50s kid, yeah. right? Like average yep. 50s kid. Oh, the the good old days. (laughs) Right, everybody? Jeez. Depends on who you ask. Very much so. As Jim entered his teen years, his academics flourished. So his father would later state Jim was, quote, an intelligent, bright young man, end quote. His IQ, so first of all, IQ tests are bullshit, but his IQ tested at 149. That sounds pretty high. It's like genius level. Yeah. I mean, that's all we have them for is just to figure out those people. Yeah, like, like if you're if you have like an 85 IQ, uh-huh. like who fucking cares? Right. Like nobody, like nobody knows. Um, it's to find the genius level people, right? But what's what's interesting is how like against sort of the like how many rock and rollers do you hear of who like were that's, genius level? Well, I, don't, I don't know about genius level and but... did well in school. He did great in school. He he didn't drop out. He performed yeah. great. I mean, yeah, you, I mean, just in that business, it's going to generate dropouts because mm-hmm. you can start in that business when you're 15 or 16. The if Dave you want Grohl to. story, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But uh, as far as like, I think intelligence and music just goes no, hand I'm, in hand. I'm not, I mean, like academic intelligence I, I guess in it this way. It necessarily you know? surprise me all that much. But, but it, what surprised me was that he was such a good student. Sure. Because that takes discipline and that takes, you know. I think he went to UCLA. Yeah, we're going to get to that. He went to a lot of places, actually. But yes, he he did go to UCLA. And that's not a, that's a pretty Mm -hmm. prominent school itself. It is. Um, So he read, he was apparently just like a huge book reader throughout his childhood. And um, as he grew, he became drawn to the philosophy. (laughs) Here's where we go. Of Nietzsche and French Ah, existentialism. Yeah, he's getting into his artsy period. Hence going to Paris to die, essentially. (laughs) He was also a fan of Jack Kerouac, William S. Burroughs, and Franz Kafka. Yeah, because those would have been like the the counterculture counterculture of contemporaries Mm -hmm. at the Mm -hmm. time. Yeah. According like those, to, those are like the same people George Carlin was inspired by, too. Mm-hmm. So, According to his senior year English teacher, he would cite books in research papers that were so obscure that in order to check his sources, his teacher had to call the Library of Congress <laughs> and was sure that he was like making it up. And then the Library of Congress would be like, yep, that's right. That's yeah, correct. He, he, <laughs> took it out, he took it out last Saturday. Right? His name's on the filing card or whatever the hell. Right, exactly. Um, Index card. And that same teacher said that <laughs> he he does really in, he did really enjoy reading really obscure books, including <laughs> including books on sixteenth and seventeenth century demonology. <laughs> yeah, I mean, pretty obscure, but. Uh... Probably if you're uh, if you think you've been possessed by a spirit, that, that's probably the type of stuff you're gonna read. So here's our last sort of button down Jim, and you okay. can see now he's moved into his sullen teenage years. Yes, yes, very much so. Yeah, that's interesting. So it's interesting be... to see people in this setting before they're right before you. The you images get... you're used to seeing. Them. Right, because he's to a degree Jim Morrison is an icon, yes, and you think very you think so. of him one way, and then to see a picture of him with short hair and like. Mm-hmm. Suit and tie sitting up straight. It exactly. just it just doesn't match. Uh-huh. 
after high school, um, so his dad wanted to introduce him, like interest him in a Navy career, which I think I didn't put this in, but I have the picture. Um, or maybe I do. I'll, I'll get to it later. Anyway, his dad wanted him in the Navy, right? And this is also like a... because he's only a year older than my dad. And this oh, is okay. and this is a time when when you're an, an adult male that turns eighteen, you just go to the armed services. One of them. That's like what most men did at that. Mm-hmm. Still at that time, mm-hmm. that would lessen after this. But, Wait, what year was your dad born? Uh, forty-four. Oh, or, okay. I'm sorry, forty-one. Yeah, I was gonna I, God, say. I was thinking of my mom or something. No, I was thinking of somebody else. So my dad is two years older. Than yeah, me. I was gonna say. I was like, I thought your dad was already in his eighties. Yeah. Um. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> hearing it that way. Your dad's older than Jim Morrison? Yeah. Would be. <laughs> yeah, and then Jim Morrison would be, yeah. Um, so, yeah, his dad wanted to get him into the Navy. He was not. This is an art kid. He's not an yeah. intellectual. He's not into the Navy. So he went to St. Petersburg Junior College in Clearwater, which is in the Tampa, oh. St. Petersburg yeah. area, west coast of Florida. The home of Scientology as well. <laughs> yes. Jim would later say, quote, uh, oh, sorry, George would later say, quote, when he graduated from high school, he asked for the complete works of Nietzsche. Most kids want a car. <laughs> yeah, right? No shit. <laughs> like, Dad, can, Dad, you, can, for, can you get for that graduation ne- yeah. present? Surprise me with Nietzsche. <laughs> the complete works of Nietzsche. Now, so now in the, this is like the very early beatnik era. Sure. Right? Like Absolutely. early 60s. Yep. So Jim was one of those kids who would perform in a coffee house. Like and he's. Recite and, his poetry. And he's, he lives in a, what is becoming, fast becoming a touristy area. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. For now. Yeah. We'll get into that. Um, so he was starting his performing career, but it was as, as a poet. Sure. As a spoken word poet. Not at all as a vocalist. So uh, he transferred to Florida State University, Ah. FSU in Tallahassee, Florida, where he experienced his first and absolutely not his last arrest. Oh, okay. I thought you were going to say I thought you were going to say acid trip. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know when he started that, but uh, so he was 19. And this is the first of three mugshots we'll be looking at. Okay, nice. Let's you see. can tell he's so fucking out of it. Oh, dude, he barely got his eyes open. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so he was arrested for petty larceny, just because apparently he, the cop car that was arresting him, the windows were down and he stole an umbrella out of it. Oh. <laughs> Uh, petty larceny, disturbing the peace, resisting arrest, and public drunkenness. Now, I know that this is like 1963 standards, but how fucked up do you have to be I was going to say, yes. For drunkenness at an FSU college football game. Yeah, you've got to be seriously crossing the line for that. FSU (laughs) is not not a party school, you know, so. I've never been there, but the... the, uh... Well, University of South Carolina is somewhat considered a big school. I've partied there, partied plenty at Clemson. Clemson. And, yeah, like, I think of, like, the fucking crazy shit that I saw at Clemson, and it's just like, mm-hmm. but you rarely saw somebody get arrested. Yeah. Uh-huh. Like, you really rarely did. Like, you, but I, I've, not that I haven't seen it happen, because I have. Uh-huh. <laughs> I, I've been one. I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, no, you had to be doing something pretty fucking stupid. Yep. For the for the cops to roll up. Because for the most part, they're just there to just make sure nobody's hurting themselves. Because right. if you arrested everyone who was drunk, it would you be did, the whole You would crowd. literally have to arrest everybody. So, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, they're just trying to pick off, like, underage drinkers here and there. Well, and, and at this point, yeah. he wouldn't have been an underage drinker. He would not drinker. have been, yeah. So, it would have been yeah. completely legal to drink at 19 mm-hmm. at this point. So, the next year, he left the East Coast and transferred to UCLA to attend film school. And UCLA, obviously, is, like, one of the most prestigious film schools mm-hmm. in the state. I'm pretty sure there's a scene of that in the movie, in the Doors movie. Yeah, I've never seen the Doors movie, but I gotta say... It's all right. Val Kilmer did it. He was like, great. That was a good lookalike. Yes, he was great. And he's, I think he actually did the singing, too. Well, that wouldn't be all that hard, because... I guess not, but still. Because <laughs> I mean, it... we'll get to this later. Jim Morrison wasn't a very good singer. No, I mean, he had an average voice. But it was the whole... Uh, but it fit with the music that they were playing. Right. Mm-hmm. Um... So at some point around this period, like in the college era, Jim really started distancing himself from his family. Like people he'd meet, he'd tell them that like his family was dead. <laughs> his family members were dead. Okay. Um, so interestingly, around this same time, his father was not only not dead, but playing a major role in one of the defining incidents of a decade full of defining incidents. Uh, by this point, 1964, George Stephen Morrison was Captain George Morrison and was in command of the U.S. Navy Carrier Division in the Gulf of Tonkin oh, along the coast of Jesus, Vietnam. you got to be fucking kidding me. While under Morrison's command, mm-hmm. the USS Maddox was attacked by North Vietnamese torpedoes on August 2nd, 1964, though the ship suffered only slight damage. Two days later, U.S. ships in the Gulf allegedly experienced another attack from the North North Vietnamese. Did I say North Koreans? I, I meant think North, you might have. I'm yeah, sorry. That's okay. I was going back to the Korean War. North Vietnamese. Um, uh, so this this second attack is what caused Congress to pass the Gulf of Tonkin Resolution and kicked off the Vietnam War. Um because by taking, quote, all necessary kicked measures... Off our, kicked off our full-scale version of right, the Vietnam exactly. War. Because we had, we had, uh-huh. had oh, yeah. people in that area for mm-hmm. three or four years at this point. But what it did was it allowed um, the military to take what they called, quote, all necessary measures yeah. to protect U.S. forces in Vietnam. And we don't know if that's... Nobody will never know. Decades later, in the early 2000s, the National Security Agency, the NSA, declassified documents oh. that showed the second attack never happened oh so it actually never did it did not know that Mm -hmm. no shit instead paranoid navy personnel thought they were under attack based on sonar readings and ended up shooting at phantom targets in the sea possibly due to either weather effects or propeller interference on radar or sonar but by the time that was realized word had reached dc and the johnson administration was off to the races and no one in the Navy corrected them and yeah. just continued to carry out the orders. The U.S. Navy had, unintentionally or otherwise, started one of the most infamous wars in history, and Jim Morrison's dad was, was among like a those key people. player. Mm-hmm. That's uh, of, of all the people. This like, is no a shit. picture of Jim Morrison with his dad aboard the USS Bonhomme Richard, okay. which was the ship. That uh, George Morrison was commanding during the Gulf of Tonkin incident. Like, obviously, Jim is not in the Gulf of Tonkin. This was at another time, but the same ship. Yeah, so Jim Morrison's dad witnessed Pearl Harbor, was a Navy combat pilot in World War II, was an upper-up in operations in the Korean War, 
and then was involved in the Bay of, the Gulf of Tonkin. Was also that kicked inv- off was Vietnam. Also involved in making a nuclear bomb, apparently. Yes. Uh huh. What a fucking life! Like holy shit. That's his dad. Like if you told somebody like I experienced all those things, they'd be mm-hmm. like, "You're lying." Right. Like there's no like, how is that even possible? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a better story than Forrest Gump. They should make a for- <laughs> right? they, they should they should make a Forrest George Gump Morrison. of disasters. <laughs> right. You know, instead of all these good things. Like this. Right? Is, like this is the guy. <laughs> No shit. Yep. I'm, I'm going to get to work on that. Isn't that interesting? I'm going to call him. <laughs> so the intelligent, broody, and artsy Jim, gradu- he did graduate from UCLA in 1965. He didn't bother to go to his graduation and mailed his diploma back to his mom. Yeah. He began living what would be described as a bohemian lifestyle <sighs> in Venice Beach, yeah. <laughs> California. He lived on the roof of a building his friend owned. <laughs> He continued to write poetry and started writing lyrics of future songs, including Hello, I Love You, hmm. which I quoted at the beginning of this episode. Uh, surprising to absolutely no one, Jim was a heavy drug user. His substance of choice... <laughs> the guy that lives on the roof? No yeah, way. right? <laughs> You're kidding. His substance of choice would always be booze. He was sure. a hardcore alcoholic. Um, but he also used LSD. God knows what else, you know. It's the middle probably, of the sixties. Fucking <laughs> probably. You know, uh, you know the, the old Allison Chain song. What's your drug of choice? Well, what have you got? Well, apparently, a couple things I read, and it's you know anecdotal because it's just people's recollections, people who knew him, that he wasn't huge on weed, and he was. Right. At, some people said he was dead set on against heroin. Like, he would well, not good. inject Yeah, well, that's anything. good. That's very good. Um, he did get into coke later in his life. Sure. So. And you also have to fi- factor in where he's, he lives in L.A. Mm-hmm. still, in the mm-hmm. L.A. area. Mm-hmm. So, right. between the entertainment industry, all the colleges that are mm-hmm. there, drugs, I'm sure, are fucking everywhere. Everywhere. Yep. Mm-hmm. So, one of Jim's friends from UCLA was Ray Manzarek. Hmm. The uh, keyboardist. Yep. Um, or Manzarek, depending on how I've you always heard, pronounce yeah, it. I've always heard it Manzarek. I've always heard it Manzarek. Manzarek? Oh. I don't know which. Uh, he was a keyboardist with his own band, Rick and the Ravens. There you go. <laughs> That's a very 60s yes. name for a band. <laughs> because two... you had to have the, a person's name in and, it. Uh, and the. Uh, and. Mm-hmm. And, and, and. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, do you know the Beatles were originally Long John and the Silver Beatles? Or yeah. The Silver Beatles? just yeah. wouldn't have worked. Yeah. It wouldn't have been the same. <laughs> So the two ran into each other randomly on Venice Beach, and Ray was, like, impressed by Jim's poetry and the lyrics that he was writing. (laughs) He was like, like, oh, that roof over there, that's the one you (laughs) love? Like, that's pretty cool. And he invited him to join Rick and the Ravens as a vocalist. Yeah. He wasn't a vocalist. (laughs) Who wouldn't want to join Rick and the Ravens? In 1965. So I had no idea about all this background, but can I just say it makes so much sense that he was a poet and not a singer because he is not a singer. <laughs> well, it's, yeah, it's kind of like Bob Dylan. Yes, you are exactly like, right. Like he's a he's a beatnik is what he is, mm-hmm. you know, which is, I mean, but man, with Bob Dylan, you either get good or bad. Like there is no in between. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> I mean, there really isn't. <laughs> And he was very like hit miss, hit miss, hit yeah. miss. His whole I mean, his career. his great songs are great. Oh yes, but man, uh-huh. for for every great song, mm-hmm. you've got at least five or six that are just duds. But anyone who says he's a good vocalist, is, no, that wasn't the whole same with that wasn't the point. Right again, it worked mm-hmm. with what he was doing. Right, you know, just like Jim Morrison and his kind of mm-hmm. 
average voice worked with what they were because it was really about the whole the four pieces coming together the drums the keys uh-huh. the vocal and the uh-huh. guitar uh-huh you know it was an ensemble yep. mm-hmm. no bass player right it was bass keyboard yep yeah and they had people uh, on I certain songs this, they had someone recording with them it was a woman yeah patty sullivan right i was gonna say player. when they would play live shows usually they would have a bass player like some of the time yeah. for some of the songs um, so eventually Ray and Jim recruited guitarist Robbie Krieger mm-hmm. and drummer John's Don, John Densmore. Mm-hmm. Played by Kevin Dillon. Really? In the yes. uh, Johnny Drama? Yeah. When, when Kevin <laughs> Dillon, Kevin Dillon was hot early in his career. Really? I didn't well, know he that. was in Platoon. He was in oh, The Doors. Oh, okay. He was in the, the remake of The Blob, which I think is an, still an excellent really? movie. It's great. Have you ever seen it? Uh-huh. The remake? Uh-huh. I've never seen the original. I don't know what it the is. The original's... Yeah, it's okay. It's like a 50s horror film, but okay. the remake was pretty good. Pretty gory. Huh. But yeah, Kevin Dillon started out pretty hot and then just faded away yeah. for like 15 years. Until Entourage. <laughs> Until Entourage. And then he sort of played a, almost a character He basically himself. played a version of himself. Yeah. yeah. I don't think he was really acting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so uh, this new ensemble decided to, they named, they weren't going to be Rick and the Ravens, right? So very suitably <laughs> to Jim's life may have worked out a little differently if they had called they, themselves They might that. have, yeah. yeah. Very suitably to Jim's sensibilities, the group named themselves The Doors after the Aldous Huxley book, The Doors of Perception, mm-hmm. which itself was a reference to a William Blake quote. <laughs> sure. So. And Huxley is like a big... Um, his work is big on college campuses. Well, he was, didn't Huxley. he do... It, the Doors of Perception, isn't that about mescaline? I think I read that it was about mescaline. It's about a drug. Mm-hmm. I'm not. I can't remember which one. Mm-hmm. I thought it was about heroin. Maybe it does about. I think it was mes- about, I think oh, it, was okay. it was a. It was a psycho. Um, Psychoactive. What yeah, whatever you call those. Um, the perception drugs, you know, like shrooms or acid or mescaline, that sort of side you of call things. It, you call it the doors, man. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um. So just learning of all this makes it so to, so clear. About oh yeah, this all and... like like even his reading of obscure books when he was ten mm-hmm. years old, like it all makes sense. Like like it's almost like it was imp- impossible for him to become anything else. It also really explains why I did not have a Doors phase because none of this like no. resonates with me. No. It didn't I... really resonate with me. I mean, when I was listening to it, well, no, I had tried a lot of acid by then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So. Yeah. I'm <laughs> so. <gonna say. laughs> I was gonna make a point, but I realized there's no. You point. didn't have a point. No point <laughs> <laughs> so the Doors played on the famous, and at this point, like at the peak of its fame, Sunset Strip in L.A. Well, no, it, well, it had a renaissance in the early '80s. Sure, but, but like this but is yes, the this is when it's, whiskey a go go days. Right. Well, right? this is this when is rock and the... roll is first is still a new thing. It's and, a new commercial. And the Sunset Strip was the cutting edge of, of like course. the psychedelic oh, yeah. scene. Because you already have an entertainment industry there in film uh-huh. and television. Mm-hmm. So having music there, it's just, mm-hmm. it's it's obvious. Yeah. Uh, and they stood out because they were like moody and psychedelic. And then Jim's lyrics and poetry were kind of like erotic and weird. I'll put it this way. Like when you hear the doors, you mm-hmm. know it's them. Yes. Like they don't really, they don't sound like anybody else. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Their earlier music does draw some comparisons little, to yeah. earlier. You can tell what their influences bands, are. But, yeah. but no, they they have like they can they have their own sound to a degree. 
The doors took up residency at the London Fog, where they appeared alongside an exotic dancer. Uh, and this is the famous early promo picture of the doors, right? With yep, them all with, lined up with Jim in the with front. With Jim in the forefront. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This guy actually kind of looks like Stephen Wright, the comedian. A little oh. bit. <laughs> it's not him. He doesn't look like the brightest of the band. He doesn't. He <laughs> that looked, could be Robbie Krieger. I he looks like he just Krieger. took acid and was like, huh? Yeah. <laughs> like, dude, there's a, there's a flash. Right. <laughs> it's moving, man. In May 1966, the group moved a few doors down three doors down (laughs) possibly (laughs) to the famous whiskey a go-go a couple of months later they were discovered by jack holzman the president of electra records and they were signed a week later uh it turned out to be good timing (laughs) because literally a few days later the doors were fired from the whiskey because Jim gave a too risky telling, risque, racy, whatever, telling of the tale of Oedipus okay. <laughs> during a performance of The End. You you know the... Oh, yeah, the song. Father, oh, yeah. I want a mother, I want yeah, to... It's a, yeah. it's a 12 minute long song. Yeah. And he would improvise the ending in performances. Sure. Sometimes, like, apparently, really graphically. <laughs> um... Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> While everybody's just in the background playing, just like... Yeah, ding, uh-huh. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> so, by the end of August 1966, the band's first album, self-titled, was recorded, and it was released in January 1967, and it included in what would become some of their biggest hits, like the opening track, Break On Through to the Other Side, mm-hmm. The End, and one of my least favorite songs, if not my least favorite song of all time... Or at least arrangements of all time, thanks to Ray Manzarek's horrific organ. Do you know what song? I I don't. Well, here's where we get multimedia. Oh, okay. Oh, uh, yeah, Light My Fire. Yeah. I hate this song so much. Listen Listen to this. Yeah. Why, uh... If I was to say no, it's, to it's, you, it's not one of their best. It's terrible. But it is one of their most popular. It is very iconic, but it's horrible. And just, just, I implore you to listen again to just the very beginning, right? I think, I think L.A. Woman might be my favorite door song. Yeah, I mean, yeah. You know I do not enjoy a high-pitched keyboard. Apparently like the, not. the time to pretend is that... hate that hate that so you don't like it but you're gonna mimic it well because i hate it (laughs) i'm mocking it now in better songs the opening track yeah break on through is pretty good song it is it's groovy yeah super groovy man (laughs) although it sounds like tequila yeah right yeah i mean it's not um it's not genius work like it really isn't like as music but it's it's suitable is what it is what it is is it's like performance art right it's more adjacent to performance art than like genius music yeah that that's my opinion and like (laughs) that 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 describes most rock and roll I mean, it really does. No, no, I disagree with that. I yeah? disagree with that. Yeah. Um, they, they, the doors are uniquely like, there are other 
there are definitely other bands who do this, but the doors are uniquely like performance art driven because like Ray Manzarek was basically like the musical driver of the band and he was very experimental. And then Jim Morrison was the primary lyric writer and he was often, God knows what he was also very experimental. Yes. So they were doing something that was not really just cla- what we would call now classic rock. They, they were another category, sure. really. It's just that some of their songs were p- close enough to pop to be become yeah, exactly. famous. And, yeah. and they charted. They absolutely mm-hmm. charted. They were, they were a oh, they were band. Big. Yes, they absolutely were. Um, so despite how perfectly awful I find <laughs> Light My Fire... Uh, it was the Doors' first number one hit, mm-hmm. and it, like the debut album, first single off their first album, reached number one on the Billboard Hot 100 Singles chart. Uh, because never let it be said that every hit is a good song. <laughs> but a hit is a hit. A hit is a hit. That's right. Uh, Jim's dad, George, was also apparently not a fan, despite yeah. Jim. <laughs> yeah. I... Put, probably putting it lightly. So despite Jim having <laughs> essentially disavowed his family, George apparently still kept in touch. And when George heard The Doors' first album, which a loving parent should be like, oh my God, son, you created, you're, you charted on an album. Like, this no. is amazing. No, no. Here's, what, here's what his dad said uh, to Jim. He wrote him, he told him, quote, to give up any idea of singing or any connection with a music group, quote, because of his, quote, complete lack of talent in this direction. Yeah, I mean, quote. well, they, I mean. God, but, his dad was brutal. Well, no, but his dad also came up in, in an era of crooners and people who could sing. Right. And not rock and roll. He did not understand the performance no, outside of it. No, it's, like, it's like when my parents heard metal for the first right. time. Mm-hmm. They just, they didn't get it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? This And this is an mm-hmm. era, if you're... A fifty-some-year-old Navy father, right? Uh huh. In in the nineteen sixties, you're not gonna get rock and roll. You're, no. you're just you're just not. Let alone experimental psychedelic <laughs> right. rock. And yeah. you would tell your son that he sucks. Yes. <laughs> Especially if you were a hard ass, and if you're a Navy rear admiral, you're a hard ass. Well, yeah. yeah and consider all the things mm-hmm. he's been through. Yeah, it's fair. <laughs> I mean, like, son, I accidentally started a war. Yeah. <laughs> that that still has repercussions oh, to this oh, day. Jesus. <laughs> that one TV show decided it would be a great idea to film a downed U.S. helicopter in front. Of <laughs> Amazing, right? Yeah. <laughs> How many times have we brought that up now? I, <laughs> so don't I still know. can't believe because it. Because I still can't believe it. Like how that got through, like everybody. <laughs> <laughs> so now with public recognition, the Doors went on multiple TV variety shows. That was the thing of the day, right? Sure. Including the famous Ed Sullivan show. Mm. Where an attempt at censoring Jim did not go particularly well. Well, first of all, it was for a really dumbass reason. The show wanted him to avoid using the word higher. higher. Yes, and light my fire because mm-hmm. of the connotations of being high and drug use. And the band's like, sure, sure, sure. We won't say it. Well, Jim said it. Of course. <laughs> yeah. They were not invited back. They were supposed to be back for like a series of shows and they were not invited hey, back. It just, it just made it more infamous. It did not hurt their career. Exactly. No, not at all. In sept- if, if anything, it helped it. Yeah, right? Yes. In September of 1967, The Doors released their second album, Strange Days. Yeah, that's also the thing. Like in this time, if you're a rock band, you're just fucking mm-hmm. putting out albums. 
like they did. They put same out thing a with whole like bunch. Zeppelin, mm-hmm. Pink Floyd. Like, like they, every got, year, there's a new album. Yeah, or mm-hmm. some some years sometimes, there are two. Yep, sometimes know? more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Um, now this is '67. This is primo experimental rock time, right? Sure. This is the year of Sgt. Pepper. Yep. The Beatles are going experimental. They'd do the White Album the next year, you know. And uh, next two years, Woodstock's going to happen. And yeah. that's, mm-hmm. you know, that's attributed to the experimental, mm-hmm. you know, phase of rock and roll as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, technology breakthroughs were starting to be made. Sure. The way that the studio was mm-hmm. being used. And... Acoustics, technology, all sorts of stuff. And synthesizers. Mm-hmm. And we've got Ray Manzarek, who's a keys player. So uh, Ray Manzarek used an early model Moog synthesizer on Strange Days in what some consider the first use of a synthesizer in rock music. Okay. Which is really interesting. If you've never seen a Moog, look it up. It's pretty wild. Mm-hmm. But it basically looks like an old-fashioned uh, telephone operator's board. And a keyboard. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I have seen these before. <laughs> like a piano keyboard. It looks like he's going to connect your call. Yes. Not, except he's got not, a not keyboard. Play, not play a, play a he's song. He's got a piano in front of him, right? <laughs> yeah. So the MOOC was the first keyboard synthesizer that could be played in real time on a keyboard. And now you can make these sounds like with your phone. Yes. And like, yes. And like look at this we thing. We can do it in GarageBand, which yes. we're recording. Right and look now. at this thing. I know. Yeah, it's it's really wild. It's like a teletype mixed with a keyboard. Yes. Mixed, you know. It's so strange. Yeah. But the thing is, what was so like amazing about the MOOC, it could be played in real time synthesizers prior to this no joke sure had to be recorded and had and, punch card right, programming play, it had to be literally produced yes yeah so, you couldn't do it on the spot no not at all not at all so um on strange days the album honestly the only song i recognized was people are strange okay but here's an example of the moog on the album in the title track strange days oh yeah I, man i haven't heard this song in a while but yeah Man, I haven't heard this one in a while. Th- that song will uh, pop up in uh, films sometimes. I think I know what you're going to be listening to later on tonight. <laughs> oh, I already did. Oh, did you? Yeah. <laughs> okay. It's like, it's been, been a while. Been a minute since yeah. your, uh, your Doors days. put that one on there. <laughs> 25 years since your Doors days. 26? 27? Yeah. 20, <laughs> 26 to 27, yes. <laughs> So while Strange Days as an album isn't known as their biggest hit, but it was still a top 10 best-selling album. Sure. So it, was, it was big. They're still selling. Yes. The Doors followed it up the next year with Waiting for the Sun, which scored them their second number one hit. Oh, yeah. Hello. I love you, won't you tell me your name? That's a fun song. I like. Yeah. I like Hello, I Love You. <laughs> um, so their second number one hit. Despite this outcome, recording the album was getting a little more challenging for Ray Manzarek, Robbie Krieger, and John Dunmore for one reason. Jim Morrison. <laughs> yeah. So, wait, wait. Do you, the lead singer was causing drama? Right. <laughs> What? Never been in a band where that was not the case, yeah. just for the record. Um, he was becoming a problematic person. <laughs> he unequivocally, everyone said, full-blown drank too much, period. He he, he had alcohol abuse sure. disorder, right? He, he 
he was an addict of alcohol, but he was also a fan of drugs, mostly LSD, occasionally weed, eventually cocaine. Yeah, that's... Here's... Now, the more I learned about him, it's like, the drug use, I mean, it is the 60s and he is in his early 20s. This And he's, yeah. and he's a rock star. He's an entertainer. Like yeah. this... He was also in and out of many different versions of relationships with women, which fine, right? This, this is a free love era too. Mm-hmm. And even if it wasn't, whatever. Like sex positivity, positivity only. But he was known for being a sexual harasser. That's not surprising. He was known for um, sexually harassing go-go dancers, like literally putting his hand up their skirts. Um, he, he had some gross behavior. So in 1966, he claimed that he killed a classmate on a road trip. Oh. Like, to the point where he was arrested, because he's going around saying he killed somebody. Jesus. Okay. And uh, the this classmate turned up fine. He was completely... So he was, like, either tripping balls or lying or being or weirdo. Like, yeah. Um, so whatever. That wasn't true. But while he was under arrest, it was also discovered that what was true was that he had the the exact sequence of event. He kissed a 14-year-old girl without uh, her consent, which yeah. she's 14. She couldn't consent anyway. No. But that is sexual assault. Yeah. So he he's 22 at this point. Yeah. And kissing a 14-year-old girl. Like, no. that's sexual assault. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, he did have girlfriends more his age. <laughs> he did have one long-term relationship with a woman named Pamela Corson on and off from 1964 until his death. We'll get back to her. Um, he had just strings of various arrests throughout the rest of his life, mostly for public drunkenness, public indecency, and lewd behavior. Mm-hmm. So he, like... I don't think that, like, booze turns people into a sexual assailant. So, like, there's something fucked up in him to begin with, right? It just brings it out of him. Yeah, exactly. Um, And 1969 would be the year of the most notorious Jim Morrison incident until his death. But it wouldn't be the first time that Jim would have a run-in with the law surrounding a performance. Now, just to give you an idea of some of the shit that happened on in his performances, here's a picture of him on stage. <laughs> I am unsure if he is passed out. Well, he did being that. dramatic. <laughs> what? He's both. just lying down on the stage. It's always both or mm-hmm. all of the above with him. Mm-hmm. But uh, there's the one. Now I'm remembering the movie more and more. I can't tell you the last oh, okay. time I saw it. It was like from the 90s, right? Early 90s. I think it was 1990. Okay. If I'm not mistaken. Um. But they they did a, he did a whole performance with his back turned to the audience, but that he was still sounds, singing. Yeah, that sounds right. And he just he was a wreck. He, he well, he was known for his onstage antics. Yes, and mm-hmm. that was part of the draw. Also, like, what's he gonna do tonight? Right. You know, mm-hmm. is he gonna show us his dick again? Yeah, we'll get to that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So a day after his twenty fourth birthday, so December 9th, nineteen sixty seven, the Doors were playing New Haven Arena in Connecticut. Yeah. For some reason, I can't still, I still can't figure out why the cop was in the position to do this. But a cop, quote, found Jim in a shower stall backstage with a girl, end quote. 
And by a girl, I think it's like a... Uh, hopefully no, an adult. There was no allegation that it was an underage girl. Yeah, okay. That's um, but why the fuck was a cop lurking around the showers and a stall shower, no less... And, like, what, that's just dumbass cop shit. Well, looking to shake somebody down. Exactly. That's what he's doing. So, uh, the cop told Jim to, quote, beat it. In which, uh, Jim, ever the poet. (laughs) And and the double entendre. Jim, ever the poet, retorted, eat it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, in a shocking display of police brutality against a white man. The cop maced Jim Morrison. Uh, and it delayed the show. He had to recover from the mace. Yeah, I bet. So Jim he went on... still did the show. Oh, so he went on stage. Oh, un- that's right, yes. Understandably okay. upset. Yep. Told the audience the whole story, filled with profanity and shit, and also really berating the cop to the point where they went on stage and arrested him on the spot. Again. Yeah. Like, <laughs> on stage. And here's yeah. his mugshot from that. This actually looks like a glamour shot or something. A little bit. The side one. New Haven, eh? Yep. Mm-hmm. And then, to, like, and it, of course it was for indecency and public obscenity, whatever. The charges were dropped. Uh, then, uh, then here comes the incident, the capital T, capital I incident, right? A little over a year later, on March 1st, <laughs> 1969. He's like, he's like, what can I do tonight? The Doors performed at the Dinner Key Auditorium in Miami, oh. specifically Coconut Grove, an old converted Pan Am seaplane base. Here's, here's what that looks like. It's very interesting. It is very interesting. Yeah, that's weird. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, hey, the reuse strategy. Uh-huh. Right there. Interesting yeah. side note to tie back to recent episodes. The Dinner Key Auditorium was used for the processing of Cuban refugees during the 60s, too. Oh, okay. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Tickets were $6 in advance, 7 at the door, which is about 50 to 57 today. Oh, well, that's nice. So. <laughs> you cannot go to a show for 50 bucks. Today. No, no, not really. Like, uh-uh. you can't. Um, also, this was supposed to be a small crowd of 6,000. Like, a small show, really. That's, a, that's still a pretty big it's audience. It's sizable, but yeah. it's not... Like twenty thousand or it's whatever. It's not an arena, but, but it's a it's a it's a packed auditorium. Yeah, you'll take that. But they oversold it. The manager sure. management oversold it. It was, as, as was they, over ten thousand. As they often do. <laughs> yeah. Uh huh. Jim was late getting to Miami due to a delayed flight, and to no one's surprise, he was drinking. The band's manager, William Siddons, later said, "Quote: Jim was always drunk. That was nothing unusual." <laughs> End quote. That's like, how it was. <laughs> According to Ray Manzarek, it wasn't just the booze. Jim was being, like, super extra Jim (laughs) that night. Ray said that Jim had recently seen an experimental theater group. Uh, (laughs) Imagine imagine trying to talk to somebody in this condition about about an experimental theater group. (laughs) And wanted to incorporate, and this is a quote from Ray Manzarek, psychedelic west coast shamanism and confrontation uh, that, end quote into yeah the show. no that's yeah, that's gonna be a no Jim. that's that's a hard no Jim. <laughs> uh i don't know that anyone ever told him though uh he was also really erratic he would stop and start songs at random yeah uh he would ask the audience questions curse at them and say like really lewd stuff 
the crowd wasn't really into what Jim was serving up. <laughs> Not really feeling it tonight. No, they started heckling him. Uh, a, according to Ray, so there's a couple different versions of this. According to Ray Manzarek, Jim hiked up his shirt and asked the crowd if they wanted to see more. But according to David Levine, a fan present in the front row, Jim said to the audience, quote, do you want to see my cock? End quote. So he was a bit more to the point. He uh, So David, David Levine got a picture of Jim at nearing this moment. His hands <laughs> dangerously near the zipper of his pants. But this... The, <laughs> David Levine said he, he quote, never saw him expose himself, end oh, quote. Okay. He's in the front row, and he said, no, he didn't expose himself. An off-duty Miami police officer present had a different account. He said, quote, he pulled out his business and started whirling it. He should have been arrested right then, right well, there, end quote. I am fully inclined to believe the kid over the cop, yeah. just for the record. Um, however, according to William Siddons, their manager... Jim himself told him, the manager, on the limo ride back to the hotel, quote, uh-oh, I might have exposed myself out there, end quote. But, he's, but also, he's so fucked up all the time. He's like, not going to know. Yeah, mm-hmm. like, he wouldn't remember mm-hmm. if he did or if he didn't. Witness accounts completely vary. Yeah. Which is... Some people say yes, some people say no. But not everyone was in the front row, so it's not like True. there was there was uh... And just just look how he has like his fingers right there. You he, could Oh, he could have done that really stupid yeah. thing where you stick your finger yeah, through your could... zipper. Yeah. yeah. Who knows? Who knows? Whether <laughs> I just I just like how the guitar player is just looking away. Yeah, they're like, whatever <laughs> it's like, Jim. Right, don't Jim. just don't look. <laughs> Uh, whatever did or didn't actually happen, word was out that it absolutely did happen. Sure. Uh, so the band, after that concert, went to Jamaica. They had a, they had a vacay planned. Okay. I was gonna say R&R, but, you know, you know, it was just mostly to smoke and do drugs. But, um, in the meantime, <laughs> back in Miami... This is 1969 Miami. It is not present day Miami. This is Cracker Miami era. This is Miami as the South era. Sure. It is not what it is today. No. So this is the day of Miami. Sure. You know. So, yes, Miami was way more white and way more Southern at the time. So while they went to Jamaica, shit hit the fan in Miami. The Archdiocese of Miami helped organize a decency rally at the Orange Bowl, <laughs> inviting, among others, none other than complete Florida disgrace of a human being, Anita Bryant. Mm. 30,000 people attended. The organizers received a congratulatory phone call from President Nixon. Oh, of course. And a few days after the concert, Dade County issued a warrant for Jim's arrest on six counts of obscenity. Mm. The Dinner Key Auditorium incident ended up eating a lot of the very limited time Jim Jim would end up having left. The band had to cancel their tour. Radio stations blacklisted them. Oh, wow. Okay. It it was a bad backlash. It it knocked them back a bit. Especially Uh, at this time. You're not getting heard on the radio. You're uh not getting heard, period. Mm -hmm. Um, And then Jim had to, like, appear in court multiple times. Yeah. 
They did still manage to release their fourth and fifth albums, The Soft Parade in 1969 and Morrison Hotel. I was going to say, yeah. I'm in 1970. Sure that was the, the last one. Yeah. When looking through the Doors albums, it really struck me that at least to this point, there's maybe a hit or two off of each album. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I have not heard most of the rest of the songs. Um, but here is one song I did recognize from The Soft Parade. Oh, this, yeah, Touch Me. Yeah. This is one of my more favorite songs. Come on, come on, come on, now touch me, babe. Now I have da, to da, say. Da, da. Uh-huh. I'm, I'm going to go. Guys, you guys should do that in Peak City. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that, I would just like to say, I think somebody ripped them off. Oh, Jet. Yeah. Oh yeah. The first time I ever heard because that was what, two thousand three, I think? Yes. Um yeah, I remember the first time I ever heard that song, I'm like, that sounds exactly like the, the fucking door song. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It is. They're like they totally and they, and I think Jet's off. Australian or Yes, they're yeah. Australian. Yeah. Do you know I thought Jet was like some obscure seventies band. When I saw that that was from two thousand three, I was shocked. Well that that was uh that was in the era of the garage rock revival. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. the early aughts. Mm-hmm. Which was a good time. I mean man, rock music got really shitty towards the end of the nineties and that early two thousand stuff like grounded it again. Like uh, the Strokes was I, I really enjoyed them. The Vines had some good songs. The um, Killers came out. Like two thousand four, a little after the the Killers were like second wave. Mm. Um, new wave garage rock and they weren't really garage they weren't, rock they weren't no, they, were no. pop, they were pop rock but very yeah. good mm-hmm. at, at being mm-hmm. that um, but yeah yeah that Strokes album is, that's still a great album um, anyway back to the 60s <laughs> yes well so this is actually 1970 Morrison Hotels has a, one of the most boring songs to play on the bass in the world <laughs> I have played this once I fucking hated it Oh, yeah, that's right. This is on Morrison Hotel. Roadhouse Blues. Yep. Boom, 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 Imagine boom, boom, playing boom, boom, boom. that. Because yeah. like... this is like a seven-minute long song. And the chord doesn't <laughs> no, change it for doesn't. three minutes. No, it doesn't. <laughs> oh, my God. It is the worst. That would be pretty torturous it's to play awful. that song. It's awful. Also, hopefully, hopefully he was doing the bass organ with that. But that sounded, right. like, that sounded like a real bass. In the though. recording, probably. Yeah. It's just like... I get that it's just got like a good groove. Now you could just put that on a loop. You wouldn't even right? need to play uh-huh. it. I get that it's got a good groove, but if you really think of it as a song, keep your eyes on the road, well, your hands here's what it is. on the wheel. Here's what it is. It's a very easy, streamlined rock song that you could do anything with. It is. And it is yeah. one. It was a hit of theirs probably because it wasn't crazy psychedelic. No. It was. It's pretty straightforward. Blues rock. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. So, mm. Um, I know, yeah, okay, the, the album also contains Peace Frog, which I have heard of, but I've actually never heard this song until yeah, I did I've the research yeah. for this. Man, it's been a while. Um. But, yeah. Yep. Yeah, if you just played this randomly, nobody would guess this is The Doors. Yeah, because, again, it's more rock, yeah. like blues rock. Yeah, man, I although, haven't heard that song in a long time. Although, in the middle... He says Indians scattered on Don's highway bleeding. Okay. Which is the impression from when he was three or four. Yeah. 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 Apparently right in the middle. It came from a book of his poetry that, or a notebook of his poetry that he entitled Abortion Stories. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's, 
Very Jim. Very, very Jim. Yes, very Jim. <laughs> that's so Jim. <laughs> like, that's so, so Raven. That's so Raven. <laughs> uh, so during this period, the doors did manage to get back on the road, eventually. And at least somewhat in the good graces of the American public again. But it is often considered that the Miami incident pretty much was like the beginning of the end for them. Well, it also because of all the court stuff and everything, and mm-hmm. uh, they also missed Woodstock because of that. They were supposed to play. Mm. They were supposed to play Woodstock. And, I didn't know that. I didn't did come not. across that. Wow. So I came across that in my Woodstock research. Oh, okay. Yep, they were supposed to play it, and all this shit was going on. It was so like they, just a few months after. Yeah. Yep. So Jim's trial ended on September 20th, 1970, so like a year and a half wow. after the actual incident. He was found guilty of indecent really? exposure and profanity. Okay. Well, the profanity part, for sure. I forgot here. Oh, why did I take... Oh, this this is where they went. The, my printer, like, reprinted a whole bunch of pictures. Oh. That's not wasteful of ink at all. Um, so here's Jim at this point in time. Yeah. Just, Yeah. This is him starting to look a little scraggly yeah. and a little rough around Just the edges. Just like, I don't feel like shaving. Well, and also, you know, like a decade-ish into really hard drinking, it's going to start showing, you know. He was sentenced on October 30th to six months in prison and a $500 fine. It's like about 4000 now. He remained out of prison on a $50,000 bond, which now wow. is almost 400000 Jeez. While the case began the appeals process, he would never serve his sentence. He said about this incident, quote, I wasted a lot of time and energy with the Miami trial, about a year and a half. But I guess I w- it was a valuable experience because before the trial, I had a very unrealistic schoolboy attitude about the American judicial system. My eyes have been opened up to it a bit. There were guys down there, black guys, that would go each day before I went on. It took about five minutes, and they would get 20 or 25 years in jail. If I hadn't had unlimited funds to continue fighting my case, I'd be in jail right now for three years. It's just if you have money, you generally don't go to jail. End quote. Good on him for just saying it. Well, I mean, that sums up our... our Yes, it's completely correct. It's just rich people don't generally call it out. And I wouldn't necessarily call him rich. He's probably doing pretty well. But, uh, oh, he's he's doing. Yeah. If he can be out on four hundred thousand dollar one, he's doing fine. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. a good point. Plus, this is also a time where entertainers are making stupid money because it's kind of a, especially in rock and roll, because mm-hmm. it's a new thing. Uh huh. Yep. So in December nineteen seventy and January nineteen seventy one, the Doors recorded their last album with Jim, "L.A. Woman," which includes. Yeah. This is probably my favorite song of theirs. What, Love from Madly? Yeah. It's grooving. Don't you love her madly? And then um, the last song on the last album Jim Morrison recorded with The Doors. Oh, um... Uh, this is Riders on the Storm. Yep. yep. This is also like a 12 minute long song. It Riders on the <laughs> yeah. Storm. And there's a killer on the run. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Um, Into this world we're, we're born. born. Yep. 
So during the album's recording, it was becoming very clear to the rest of the band that Jim had a major problem. Um, I would say it surprised, it surprised me that it took them that long to realize well, that. Well, they've probably got their own shit going exactly. on, too. And they're yeah. all also young men <laughs> yeah. in their 20s. So yeah. not the most astute bunch in the world, because no. if you get any group of men in their 20s together, together it's going to be fucking chaos. I would posit you get any group of men together, it's a problem. But, you know, uh, Ray Manzarek would later say, quote, Before L.A. Woman, it hadn't yet affected his literary output or sense of songwriting. It had affected his health. We had a little confrontation at one point and told him he was drinking too much. He was like, I know, man, I'm trying to quit. We were like, okay, just call us and let us know. (laughs) I was like, the book of, not like, not like an intervention, like, hey, you have to check into rehab. It was like, you tell "Um, us. Okay, let us know. (laughs) Jack Holzman, the president of Electra Records, said that he took Jim out to dinner after they finished recording LA Woman. And he said, quote, I ate, he drank. End quote. At this point, he was, like, not eating as much as he was drinking. Jeez. So. so as Jim's life was unraveling, so was rock music in the U.S. Jimi Hendrix died yeah, on September geez. 8th. Sorry, 18th, 1970. Janis Joplin died October 4th, 1970. Uh, less dire, but still, the Beatles were also breaking up in 1970. Well, that's, so. pretty, that's pretty dire. That it's pretty a lot, dire of, a lot of, like pivotal moments in yeah. rock going on well because you're because kind of, you've got to, at this point after all this happens you've got to be looking around for like who's going to pick up the mantle right Th- thankfully uh-huh. there were bands that would come to the mm-hmm. forefront like pink floyd led zeppelin the 70s yeah. bands and yeah all. uh-huh but mm-hmm. uh but yeah for probably about a year or two people mm-hmm. were like kind of looking around being like interesting... being like who's going to take this thing to the next level and that's an interesting thing is rock has these like death moments for sure and then always comes back like, there was the, the day the music died, Chuck mm-hmm. Berry getting arrested, Elvis going to... And then it, it got revived, and then there's, like, this down down dip, and then it got revived. Mm-hmm. It, it always revives. I would honestly call the late 90s the, the same way. Yeah, uh-huh. like, I, like, not that it wasn't selling or wasn't mm-hmm. popular. It was, but the, the quality was mm-hmm. was pretty poor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let's be honest. Yeah. But, uh... And I guess rock is kind of back, or never went away, or whatever the fuck. Like, I don't know, like... What's going? It gets harder to to, parse to me. Out. To me, these days there really aren't any genres. Like you, there's a lot of crossover. Yeah, a lot I mean they're real. Like um, I always thought um, what's the guy with the fucking tattoos all over his face? Post Malone. Yes. Mm-hmm. So I thought of him as an R and B rapper. That's uh-huh. in my mind. That's what he was. Okay. And he is. Mm-hmm. But he also did, like, during COVID, and I watched it on YouTube, he did, like, a concert from his house. Okay. Everybody were in separate uh-huh. rooms, and he was playing nothing but Nirvana covers. <laughs> and I was like, wait, I thought he was a... Yeah. Uh... But no, he was playing guitar, and, like, it was... And I was just like, I guess that's just what people do now. They can just kind of do, like, a little bit of everything. I think people are less and less willing to be boxed in yeah. to any one thing. Which mm-hmm. is not a bad thing. No, it's not at all, especially but, for an uh... artist. That's good to be able to... But, go where you want to go. But yeah, like, I, like to me, genres like musically are just mm-hmm. kind of going away. Mm-hmm. Like it's yeah, just, kinda. it's just like you can perform, you're really good or you're not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know? yeah. So, LA Woman was released on April nineteenth, nineteen seventy one. Jim decided to take some time off, apparently to try to dry out and deal with his drug addictions. 
for some reason, he chose to do so in <laughs> Paris. Paris. <laughs> because I don't know in what world Paris is not known for drinking, <laughs> yeah, but... Right. Um, and he also chose an interesting companion, Pamela Corson, his longest relationship, Why not? but also a highly problematic relationship, uh, of first course. of all, because of his alleged abuse of her, yeah. which is also horrible, mm-hmm. um, and also that she was totally actively abusing heroin. So, sure. Play, played by Meg Ryan in the film. Ah, well, this is Jim and Pamela. They did a good job on that casting, though, Val Kilmer and Meg Ryan. That I guess I don't know that she looks like Meg Ryan, but yeah, a little bit. Um, Meg Ryan with a straw hair like that. That's yeah, what they, that's what they put on her. I'm just used to her little curly. Yeah, no, she did blonde. not look like that in the doors. Mm. So Jim and Pamela initially stayed at the George the Fifth, a luxury hotel, five five star hotel in Paris. Then they moved to L'Hotel, where L'Hotel. O- Oscar Wilde had died. Oh. Of either meningitis or syphilis, depending on who you ask. <laughs> you don't want to die of either one. No. <laughs> they could, could have been, again, a theme. It could have been both at the same time. They finally settled into an apartment at 17 Rue Botterie. Jim explored Paris, seeing the sights, spent a lot of time well, writing. Well, I mean, talk about a place for an artist to be. Exactly. That was the idea. I he was, mean, like, connecting with Oscar yeah. Wilde and all that. Um while Paris, obviously, yes, had plenty of cultural experiences to offer, it was not a good place for someone looking to detox. No. It did not take him long to start cruising the clubs. Um, and while he was maybe having a good time, he was not necessarily having a dry time. So the last days of Jim's life were witnessed by Pamela Corson. And according to Pamela, their last evening together was spent having dinner at a Chinese restaurant and going to the movies to see Robert Mitchum in the movie Pursued. They went home and went to bed. In the middle of the night, Pamela woke up to the sound of Jim having a hard time breathing. Hmm. He said he was going to take a bath. Early that morning, Pamela went to check on him and found him dead in Hmm. the bathtub. So for over 50 years now, there has been so much speculation. Of course. And conspiracy around what happened to Jim. And it's kind of understandable because there was some acknowledgeably cagey behavior surrounding his death. And you and you supposedly only have one witness. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. she could be saying anything. So a couple of things. He he apparently was in the hotel for a few days, dead, before That's they called. Yeah. And allegedly, they wrapped him in plastic and packed him on ice. I mean, because yeah. otherwise, how would his body not rot exactly so and and probably did that to reduce the smell yeah allegedly when word first spread about his death reporters were told that he was resting and then told that he was in the hospital but they just kept denying that his death but event so even the door's current manager was told that oh no jim's fine it's okay He's he's totally dead at this point Jeez. um uh you can only pretend someone is Alive for so long before... Well, especially somebody famous. Yes. Um, So, being that Brian Jones died at age 27, exactly two years before Jim. Literally, it was July 3rd, 1969. Then there was Jimmy and Janice. Jim Morrison's death is what cemented the legend of the 27 Club. So, the and by now the public knew and all that. The exact cause of Jim's death technically remains unknown no autopsy was performed 
because it wasn't required by French law. And the cause of death was listed as heart failure. The owner of the one of the clubs Jim frequented claimed he died at the club of a heroin overdose. Then his body was taken to the apartment as a cover-up. Singer Marianne Faithful agreed, oh. saying that her then-boyfriend, Jean de Brutel, was the one who gave Jim the heroin. This point, you know what? I don't know that it matters. It's, Does no. it matter? You don't generally die a natural death at age 27. No. Whether it was an overdose or his body just giving out, it's not really contested that his drink, his substance use used up his body, essentially, in a very compressed period of time and led to a very premature death. Whether yeah. I don't think it's at all like out of the realm of possibility that his heart gave out at all. No. And I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility he OD'd. So, maybe. Or, or again, like, all of the above. Oh, maybe. Like, all of these things could have happened. Like, who the fuck knows? Maybe. <clears throat> I'm sure they did a, did they do a toxicology report nope, on him? No, they did oh, nothing. Oh, really? Nothing. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's. Uh, he, he was, he was, it was a quick burial closed casket. That was that. Which also cements the yeah. c- conspiracies. Especially that he wasn't dead at all. It's right. sort of the Elvis thing. You yeah. Know. Um, but anytime anybody famous dies under, I don't know, mm-hmm. necessarily know that these are mysterious circumstances, no, but not transparent circumstances. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's going to be like imagine if he had died during Twitter. Yeah. Right. Like imagine if Twitter was around 50 uh-huh. years ago. Like uh-huh. nobody would know the truth about fucking anything. Mm-hmm. Um, very sadly, but not surprisingly, Pamela died of an overdose three years later. She was 27. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Damn. Uh, so Jim was buried at Père Lachaise Cemetery, a very famous cemetery mm-hmm. in Paris. His unassuming gravesite was swarmed by visiting fans and is still an incredibly popular fan destination. Oh, yeah. If, I, de- ever, if I ever went to Paris, I'd <coughs> want to go see it. Yeah. A decade after his death, a full headstone was installed, but it was later destroyed. Mm-hmm. Constant visitors also trampled and defaced nearby graves, resulting in barricades being erected around the site in 2004. His headstone says, James Douglas Morrison, 1943 to 1971, with an inscription below in Greek, generally translated as true to his own spirit. Okay. That's his grave right there. Okay. Um, Buried in Paris. In uh, the first <laughs> first season of America's Next Top Model, they go to Paris for like the final four or whatever. For like fashion week or something? No, just to, like they always give them a destination. Oh, okay. Like, the girls who make it the farthest. And uh, Adrian, Chris Brady's. Uh, oh, yeah. Yep. I know who Chris you're talking Brady? about. Chris Brady? No, Peter Brady. Peter, one of the Brady's. Peter Brady's. Yeah. <laughs> there was no Chris Brady. Christopher <laughs> Knight played Peter Brady. Yeah, there, whatever. There you go. His, her who married him though, and they had a they had a they. reality show at one point anyway she and the like the runner-up Elise spoiler alert for a 20 year old show um went to go visit Jim Morrison's grave because they wanted well Adrian really wanted to see it and she had like this whole profound moment at Jim Morrison's grave anyway Adrian Curry right yes Is that her name? yes yeah. that's right Adrian Curry Adrienne Adrienne yes, yes. uh-huh <laughs> just remember she was from Joliet, uh, Illinois. Oh, okay. And they were filming this, like they made them film this commercial. Mm -hmm. And she had to say the word passion. And she kept saying passion. (laughs) 
passion. And they, they had her try it like 10 times. And every time they just showed her going, passion. <laughs> anyway, Jim's death essentially elevated the doors from popular to legendary. Of course. Yeah. The remaining members quickly recorded the band's next planned album, aptly titled Other Voices, because Jim was not involved in the recording. And it was released three months after Jim's death. I didn't know that they would... That, I, yeah, that's interesting. The rest of them sang, yeah. Yeah. The, they released two more albums, the last of which was An American Prayer. Have you ever heard American Prayer? Mm. I have. It's music backing Jim's reading of his poetry. It's the spoken oh. word album. Okay. Yeah. okay. And the Doors were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 1993. Yeah, that institution's a fucking joke, but anyway. Yes, and we've got plenty of problems with it. In 2010, the very embodiment of the term lame duck, Governor of Florida Charlie Crist, fresh off a failed run for the U.S. Senate, used Jim Morrison for a handy publicity stunt by arguing in front of the Board of Executive Clemency for a posthumous pardon of his 1970 conviction, oh, okay. which was granted. Christ said, quote, In this case, guilt or innocence is in God's hands, not ours. End quote. Fucking uh, uh, dipshit like, politicians. Like <laughs> Fuck that. And, and why the, go through the trouble of trying to, like, uh, yeah, whatever. This quote-unquote case was on a docket full of actual people, like, literally pleading for pardons for living relatives and love like moms and dads and stuff like yeah my Um, uncle got arrested for smoking a joint and he's been in jail for 30 years can you get him out like no (laughs) this dead guy and imagine imagine in the middle of all of this people like crying trying like pleading for clemency for their for for their loved ones i can't imagine charlie christ stands up there and starts arguing about jim morrison's dick (laughs) like he kind of turned it into a circus but in the words of Miami Herald columnist Fred Grimm, quote, the Lizard King's pardon would be the emblematic achievement of an insipid career. No one still cares whether a ju- drunken Jim Morrison dropped his pants on stage at Dinner Key Auditorium on March 1st, 1969. The subsequent fit of civic outrage, long faded from popular memory, has aged into the perfect non-issue for lame duck Charlie. After 41 years, the public has become utterly inured to the antics of raunch and roll. <laughs> raunch and roll. <laughs> Jim's estate was the subject of some controversy, so he left half of his estate to his parents and half to Pamela. Okay. Pamela died three yeah. years later. Uh, and so her estate, which included her portion of his estate, passed to her family. Okay. So now there's like... Jim's family and a completely like unrelated family has access to the, and obviously the biggest issue wasn't like his treasured baby pictures. It was, it was was absolutely a (laughs) hundred percent money. Right. So I'm not saying that his, that the families didn't care about like actual mementos or whatever, but still. Yeah. That's, we're talking about potentially tens millions of millions of dollars, of dollars exactly so, yeah. uh-huh there's gonna be a fight over who gets that so jim's family contested pamela's family's stake in the estate fortunately eventually both families settled sure and they agreed to an equal division okay of yeah. the earnings so hey 50 percent is better than no percent that's right 
When Jim, uh, so when the Morrison half of the estate passed along to Jim's siblings after their parents' death, so Anne and Andrew, in 2009, Anne went through Jim's journals and other writings. She found full written plans for a book of poetry, and she executed it. She oh. she went ahead and made it happen. Why not? Uh, so she published it in uh, 2021. It's called The Collected Works of Jim Morrison. It's apparently like a 600-page book. That's Huge. surprising. People like that probably wrote all the time. Exactly. So one of the poems that appears in the book is entitled As I Look Back, and is sort of a summary yeah. of his life. It ends with the following passage. The joy of performing has ended. Joy of films is pleasure of writing. End with fond goodbye and plans for future. Not an actor, writer, filmmaker. Money from home, good luck, stay out of trouble. Which of myselves will be remembered? Goodbye, America. I loved you. And that, my friends, was the story of the death of Jim Morrison. Wow. Installment number three of the 27 Club. Okay. Of our version. <laughs> yes. He was not the third. Or... There's not no, only... he was not the third. Yeah, and, and there's not only three. That's, that's correct. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's... Uh... Uh, yeah. The Doors. Wow. Haven't thought about them in a while. Mm. But, uh, yeah, so you you had no idea of my little uh, Doors I stint. did not. Yeah. I did not. I did not. You did, I did not. <laughs> oh, hi, Mark. Oh, hi, Mark. Stadium. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, a lot of things I hadn't thought about. Man, I shit. I probably haven't seen that movie, like, since I was in high school. I have never seen it. Um, and really just watched it because it was an Oliver Stone movie. Like I was, uh-huh. you know, I didn't really have like a, even watching the movie, I remember I didn't even musically have any sort of connection to the doors that came a few years later for mm. some reason. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, I actually can kind of see, especially when you were younger, like 1920, I can see the appeal cause you like writing and especially in high school you wrote. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I could see like the poetry and yeah. writing aspect really appealing to you. Yeah. I could see you being kind of an artsy poetic. Well, were you more of an art, a nonfiction or short story sort of person? For or? the most part. Yeah. Yeah. Were you a poetry person ever? Here and there. Yeah, I really? Don't th- I don't think any of it was any good, but yeah, I, I've, I've written plenty. I, I I never really did. Yeah, I've written like bits and bobs of stories, but not... Um... Yeah, that's that was the main thing I did was write short stories. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, I, that that was probably like a link. Like he was that type of person too. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. He went to film school. I knew that. Yeah, and, that's which is, true. Which is something I had wanted to do at that yeah. time. Yeah, uh-huh. But uh, kind of did to an extent, I yeah, My, for uh, uh, Herkimer. Yeah, uh-huh. but uh, yeah, I mean, it's another one. It's it's one of those, like that era is not that era without this band. Yeah, very. Like um, it's it's that's kind of what I think that's what their uh, foothold is. They maybe sort of in, helped in, make the sixties. Sure, yeah. absolutely. Uh-huh. Yeah, they came on towards the end. Yes, you know, uh-huh. but. Uh, I think that's when the 60s gained its most momentum, were those it late 60s. It was near the end, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then Altamont, which was, I don't think, until 1970. Something like that. But that that's basically true. killed that. That's around that, that same yes, time. Yeah. That basically kind of killed that whole hippie that vibe. spirit of things. It was kind of yeah. gone. Uh-huh. Yeah, after that. Uh-huh. But, uh, so they were on, they, they were on board, like, just at the end of it. Mm. But, uh. My dad said he remembered, uh, the, uh, uh, what? 
dinner key auditorium and some oh okay and sure news, yeah because he would have been like 10 or 11 at the time sure and uh yes <laughs> that would have been big local news like, yes uh-huh. and out of town or no he was a floridian a, na- a native Floridian entertainer showed his penis last night. They wouldn't have even said that. They would, they would have, have said exposed himself. Exposed himself last night at the dinner key, the key dinner. Dinner key auditorium. Dinner key auditorium. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they were still using the transatlantic <laughs> I don't think in the late 60s. <laughs> but maybe. It would the, have been the, the lo- Walter Cronkite the lo- era, the locals, the locals, No, the local stations probably still were. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh... It's I, it's a, it's a who knows like if they go on like yeah. do they fade away, do they are they one of those bands that are still around now still right, touring right. like you know like Dead and Company, you know the Eagles right. you know acts like that. I think what what I found really interesting because I didn't really know much about Jim Morrison. I did not have a Doors face. I know the hits, you know. Sure. I did listen to an American. Yeah, if you've prayer. listened to any classic rock, if you listen to any classic rock station sure. for more than an hour or two, you'll hear us a, a door song mm-hmm. for the most. Well, actually, now you hear like Foo Fighters. Nir- I don't know if they Nirvana at yeah, least. Yeah, you definitely hear Nirvana. <laughs> well, Foo started like twenty five years ago, more than twenty five years ago. So. Eight years ago. Yeah, <laughs> that's classic rock. Because <laughs> think in nineteen ninety eight, that's equivalent of a song written in nineteen seventy. So. No, I don't like math. <laughs> I don't like I'm not going to I'm not, not going to agree to anything that has to do with math. But when I was reading about him like early days and everything, I'm like, "Oh, I feel like I know this guy and I don't like him." Mm. Cuz I'm not a fan of the artsy. No, you're not. Type. <laughs> you're not a fan of boisterous people either, which is well, kind of what he was yeah, to an extent. But also it's like the um it feels very pretentious is what it feels. And I don't, I'm not saying that he was being disingenuous or pretentious. It's just people <laughs> well, who Well, I mean, are... he lived on a roof, so. <laughs> like he was, he yeah. was at least selling it better than most. People who are <laughs> very abstract, which a lot of, you know, well, artsy people are. It's... You know I am not an abstract person. No. I deal in concrete. Right. So... So I don't understand where people like that are coming from. So I to struggle. Me, to me, so like, and I, I'm sure I've mentioned this before. Like I can handle weirdness to an extent. Mm-hmm. Like like weirdness is is okay. Uh huh. But up to a certain level. Yeah. Like he's the guy that's too weird. He's extra. Yeah. He's, too extra. he's like the guy that when he's around, you're like, mm-hmm. you just notice that he's around well, because and then he's he weird. Drinks and it gets worse, right? right? Yeah. And then it gets like gross yeah. and lewd. Yeah, there, there's a fun weird and there's a not fun yes, weird, and, he and he's he's not fun weird, yes, especially drunk. <laughs> yeah. Um, but then and then you know like reading the stuff that is super uncomfortable about him like assaulting people and stuff. That's like sexually. That's that's not cool, and that's and obviously this is no excuse. Mm-hmm. But at that time, that was just kind of like, eh. like that wasn't really that's seen as a much bigger deal today than it was then. I I agree and. But ultimately, I will say, like, what I did find kind of sad was that ostensibly he was trying to change things when he went to Paris. Sure. And that just as he was kind of trying to be like, okay. And he even told, you know, because like Robbie, or not Robbie, uh, Ray Mandrick said, he was like, you know, he said, I know, man, I'm trying to quit. Like, like so most it wasn't people, like, it wasn't that he wasn't <clears throat> unaware. Right, like most people with substance issues or many people at least like he he knew he had a problem but that's a tough demon to slay. So he was 
trying and there aren't many resources in 1971 to do so so especially in paris oh my god alone with your heroin addict (laughs) girlfriend so um that's not that's not a combination you want today not the smartest move but it was kind of like the best he could figure out in the moment and then he didn't get the chance to figure it out he didn't get the chance to straighten out and like you said like he's still young 27 is so young with money Mm -hmm. so that's not an issue either Mm -hmm. you know i mean it's it's if he wants to he can just go to paris and live in a hotel for a couple months Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. and try to figure things out right and that's kind of what he was you know like let me connect with the spirit of oscar wilde and the and and like none none of the rest of us eat croissant upon the sin and um And write my poetry, you know, and... The rest of us have to go to work. Yeah. <laughs> you have to figure out that shit, like, off the clock. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know. But then, you know, he... So he was trying and didn't get the chance to do what maybe he could have done or maybe not. I'm not sure that the, the resources were in place back then for it to be very successful. The people who back in the day did quit like substances that they were addicted to seems to be more like they white knuckled it and figured it out. Not that they had good resources and sponsors and all the stuff that they needed, you know, sort of a thing. So I don't know if he would have been one of the people who could have figured out how to white knuckle it. And and again, like at this time in life, like people are still going to work drunk sometimes. Yeah. Well, (laughs) clearly he was always drunk at work. Right. But even like at a traditional job, mm-hmm. like drinking, like having a flask while you're driving a forklift around, right? Like which I can't, like I cannot fucking imagine, like being in a mm-hmm. work environment like that. It's fucking nuts. But workplace but, uh, safety regulation, blah blah blah. Yeah, let's get rid of it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. But um, uh, but no, I mean they they certainly have their place in rock and roll. Where that place mm-hmm. is is debatable. You know, just but, like with like with most bands. I was but, just uh, I was just surprised that like. I kind of started out by being like, oh, I don't like this guy. Mm-hmm. And then being like, yeah, but it's sad. At least, it's still... was, at least he was trying to come around. He was kind of trying to come around. And it would have been interesting to see what would have happened if he had come around. And I mean, it's... It's the, I mean, it's the same thing when any, when any prominent artist yes. dies. It's mm-hmm. like, what would they have gone on to do? Right. Maybe mm-hmm. nothing. Yeah. Of, uh-huh. of note. That's, that's possible. You know. But it's also, it's just like sort of rediscovering or discovering for the first time. I've never sat down and read about Jim Morrison. I never sat down and read the whole, like, what happened to Jimi Hendrix? What happened to Janis Joplin? Yeah, so that's what either. this whole 27 Club series, like, really is doing. And a lot of things for me is like, huh, well, I didn't know a, this about person. them. Yeah. Yes, this is a life, right? Yeah. This is a person. And they were more that, like... Jim Morrison was a Navy brat and a genius. Who knew that, you right. know? Like, a, an IQ genius and was great in school. Uh, and, like, was traumatized as a three-year-old I mean, I mean, by think think, of, seeing dead people on the highway. Like, if you die at 27, you're less than 10 years out of high school for most people. Yeah, uh-huh. So... You haven't even hit your 10-year reunion. Right, and he's already yeah. gone. Mm-hmm. And it's, mm-hmm. you know... I mean, I think back then, 27 was a little older than it is today. I guess, yeah, but, kind of. Uh, like, but people still. would have a wife and kids by then or right. whatever, yeah. Multiple mm-hmm. kids and whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but I mean, man, like, uh, you don't realize how young young is until you until get you're older. older. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, so I was, when I was 27, I'm pretty sure I thought, like, man, I'm getting older. That's right. 
fucking 27 years old. And, and 10 years from now, you'll be like, man, when I was 46, when I, was 46 I thought 46. I was old. Those are the days back then. <laughs> yeah, we don't want to think about 10 years from now. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> but anyway, well, that was a very unexpected topic, but a good one. Very good one. And that was the 27 Club Part 3 on Jim Morrison. This has been another episode of All Bad Things. I'm David. I'm Rachel. We'll see you next week.